the Jewish Divorce Project. Because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help. and it makes it lovely like it sucked and yeah. it made me really angry i wonder if there are times where being a rabbi drew a boy, drew a web wedge into my marriage with tamar yeah i wonder if the response well that's interesting because you uh, weren't as fastidious about halacha so how how would that well be, i wasn't so serious about halacha about jewish law was one thing i think that made life a little bit easier but i think i also felt pressures to conform in certain ways as a rabbi to hold myself in certain ways and that pressure and that anxiety found its way back into our family life and certainly caused me to act in ways that she may not have thought, you know, were rabbinic or at least the way that a rabbi should be carrying themselves. I think that title, you know. Oh, so it, it, it like your title too. held you to a higher standard that you might not have lived up to at all times because you're human. And then it seemed more discrepant. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I chose to be a rabbi. I chose to try to live up to that standard. There's no question about it, but I think you have to walk a balance within it. Right, Very like anything to try to lead up, live up to, right? Any type of goals or aspirations that you have, you have to be realistic about who you are and what you're trying to get to. Right, I guess it's similar to, in some ways, being a therapist, right? It's like, that's my job, I'm trained, but I'm also human, I don't always. And one of the reasons I chose to be a therapist, and maybe it's similar to you, with uh with a rabbi is that i wanted to be held to a higher standard i and and the reason why i chose to specialize in parenting and single parenting is because i wanted to be to have to put my money where my my mouth was right like i wanted to be on the record publicly talking about how to be a good single parent and people to hold me accountable to that um specifically i think i built up a lot of that stuff in my own head as well i wanted to be a rabbi i made the active choice to go to rabbinical school and to pursue that career and to take all the things that came along with it i asked certain questions along the way to mentors about certain things like that will my kids be scrutinized do they deserve to be scrutinized all those things because they're rabbi's kids and i certainly i think brought a lot of my own whatever it is conceptions or preconceptions of what that image looked like into my own kind of process of how I was doing things and whether or not I was really living up to those standards. And if I didn't think myself, I was living up to those standards, forget about anyone else, right? Then I was disappointing myself. And then I was bringing that frustration home and letting that frustration out at home because I was failing at something uh, that I was trying to build up and, and couldn't see kind of like how to balance it all and what was really realistic and how to forgive myself in that way when I wasn't living up to those standards. Yeah, although it's interesting because rabbis today are not rabbis of yore, the rabbis of the shtetl where, you know, this was the rabbi and their kids were under scrutiny. It's like, my kids aren't under scrutiny because they're a therapist kids. You know, why aren't you behaving better? So I think there's a lot of rabbis out there and a lot of kids are the kids of rabbis. Well, I think uh, you're right. Rabbis aren't the uh, aren't the rabbis of yore, neither a therapist for that matter. It's much more widely accepted to go see a therapist. People talk about it. There's still, I think, a little bit of a stigma, but um, there's it's certainly more acceptable and more celebrated to go see a therapist. I, I wonder about all rabbis' childrens being, um, you know, really scrutinized in that way. I don't think that's true. I think there's been a little bit more freedom in that. I'm sure it still happens. There's no question about it in other ways in certain communities and probably more in commun other communities than others. 
I think there's certainly something that I wanted to work on was keeping, making a distance between Tamar and the synagogue. I didn't want her to feel like a Rebetzin. She and I spoke about that. Um, I didn't want her to feel like my career choice, you know, became a, a, a necessary mandate for her, that she had to be involved in Jewish life in that way. I knew that was something that was going to bring me a lot of attention, that I wanted a separation between the home and the office, and certainly Tamar not being that involved. She got involved however much she wanted, but not having that mandate upon her to be a rabbi's wife, to act as a rabbi's wife, to do as a rabbi's wife in the community as had, had been done in the past was really important to me so that she could have that freedom. Um, do I think that helped? Yeah, I think that helped in some way. Uh, I think there are a lot of communities, a lot of couples that actually thrive on that, that want that though. Yeah. Hmm. But it's interesting that you bring up this idea of faith in you know, marriage and also in divorce, because there are times I wonder, and I'm sure that there are like a lot of people who wonder, right, was this supposed to happen? And is this all part of a plan in some way? A bad marriage or a challenging marriage? Whatever, yeah. Challenging marriage, a bad marriage, divorce, right? Is that all part of the well, plan? Before we get to the divorce part, so if you believe in God and you believe in divine providence, so who are you in a way to say this marriage is not okay? This is your lot, right? And how the, that intersection of your beliefs and your desires and your happiness and unhappiness, how they all play into each other. Mm -hmm. But I, I imagine you'd have to ask that about a lot of things, not just your marriage, right? If God's going to be involved in that area of your life, why wouldn't God be involved in all the other areas of your life? But and people question God yeah. all the time. You know, when people get sick, if, if someone close to you gets sick, people will say, why would God do this to me? Mm -hmm. um, people blame God, rely on God. God's always, God's present all the time for, for the good and, and the bad, especially the bad. Did you struggle with that in your marriage of, of believing that there might be some divine providence to why you were married and then pushing through to stay married for the sake of that force? Well, I'm going to do what I usually do as a rabbi if someone came to me. So I'm going to turn it back on you, which is to say, did you think there was some type of divine plan in your marriage that you had to follow? That's cheating. That's the, way <laughs> the rabbi. Sorry. No, so then I'll be a therapist. <laughs> I can turn it right back on you, but I'll, I'll answer the question. Did I, for sure, for, for sure, that was part of the equation. I mean, Getting, deciding to divorce wasn't me. I woke up one morning and I, I I was out and I wanted a divorce. It was a year, years long um, struggle to weigh all the options, to weigh my feelings, to understand what was really at the root of the desire to stay in the marriage, the desire to leave the marriage, what my part of it, when it was, what I could change, what I couldn't change. Um, what I could let go of, what I was still angry about, <laughs> all of those parts. And, and then where did God play into it? So why did I marry him? You know what, we had three kids. So was, was, the, was the design, the, uh, the divine design that I was meant to marry him and have three kids and then leave him? <laughs> or was it the divine design that I was meant to fight it out and stay in it? And I think I, more than divine providence, I battled my notion of a wife, of a good wife. So it felt to me that I needed to try harder to be a better wife, that mm. I was failing in that way. I, I didn't feel that I was failing God per se. Mm. Um, 
it also felt to me that Judaism doesn't really does allow for divorce. It, it, you know, there are so many out, so many reasons, so many things that support a divorce. It didn't feel like I was going against God's will by, by wanting, by wanting the divorce. It's funny because if someone come to me and said, was this supposed to happen? And they wanted my official answer as a rabbi, I'd certainly be in the same position. I was certainly in the same position as them when I was going through my divorce. There were times where I was out at night outside, just looking up at the stars going, why is this happening? Is this supposed to happen to me? Is this all part of it? What the fuck is going on? I have no idea. My life is spinning out of control. I need some answers. Absolutely. And I think had anyone come to me, like short of giving them some immediate comfort to remind them that everything was going to be okay, I'd probably tell them that I didn't know and that I don't know and that they wouldn't know and that none of us really do that. Like you have, you have speculations in the present moment about what's going on. And a lot of those are emotion-based. You would probably say that, that they're all just kind of like frontal lobe. And all you're doing is thinking about like what's going on and, and fight or flight. And you're probably really scared and sad and angry. And that's all you have. And I think what we call that is standing too close to the elephant or drinking from the fire hose, whichever way it is, you're too close to something so big to really understand it all in that moment. And that's really difficult to do. And I think the best thing you can do is try to just experience it. And I would suggest that that in experiencing it and going through it and trying to embrace the present moment in that, even if it is so kind of scary and emotional, is where you meet God in some ways, where you do get some answers or some type of, you know, path or instruction, whatever that is, however it's going to come to you, you'll figure it out. Uh, you know, you're just too close to it. You're way too close to it. You, you start asking yourself what went into the marriage. How did it work? How did it fail? Were, how were each of you responsible? What were the factors that contributed to it? Were you even ready to get married in the first place? Did you have all your shit worked out? I mean, there's just, there's so much that's running through your head. And I don't even think you really have time to think about all that. So it's, 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 it's too big of a place to really know kind of how it all matters in the grand scheme of things at that moment. Well, I felt like I had time to think about that. That's all I thought about for years, just weighing all of those, the pros and the cons and weighing all of those options. And you're the and one who asked for the divorce. It's different when you're the receipt. When no, you're I wasn't the, the one who asked for the divorce. You know what? I, I, um, I was the one who put divorce on the table, whereas not in a way that I wanted a divorce, but I'm not okay with the status quo. So I was the one who put that on. Things need to change for me to be able to work through this. And then we tried to work through this, but and then, but at the end of the day, and then we, we were never on the same page. So then I wanted out and he's like, let's work on it. And then I said, okay. And then he, he wanted out and I said, let's work on it. And then we, we did that seesaw for a while. And then at the end of the day, he's the one who left. And it was interesting because our therapist at the time told me that men and women are very different in this stage of the marriage in that women vacillate very often. I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. And they go back and forth. And she told me when he's out, when he decides to leave, he's not coming back. When men make this decision, it's usually more um, absolute and final. And she was a hundred percent right. He was, he was done when he, he was in and out. But then when he was finally finished, she was finished. And it, at the end of the day, it was, 
I, I don't think I ever could have, would have left completely. I'm not sure. Cause there was always that part of me that thought, let's try harder. Let's try harder. I, we can't give up on this. And maybe truly there was a part that, that did feel that there was the fate, you know, the fate that brought us together and that we were meant to be together. And who am I to um, spit in the face of fate in that way and just keep trying. And that, but he, but he was the one who walked away at the end. You know, if I were to think if God wanted me to stay married, I, I don't know that I could think that. I, I, I think God wants me to live a happy life or God wants me to live a healthy life if I think God thinks of me at all. But I think if, if, if that's the case, if God is going to be that involved, then, then God wants me to live a life that I find meaning in, that everyone finds meaning in, that God would have wanted that for Tamar as well, and that she needed to make certain decisions regardless if I liked it or not, or whether if I enjoyed it or not. I still think, though, that there's a difference in how you perceive and how you relate to this transition and change in your life, dependent on what role you played in the divorce actually occurring. And by that, I mean, just like, whose decision was it? If it was mutual, that's one thing, right? You come together and you're like, hey, this isn't working out. We're both very much aware of this. Let's figure out something to do so we can at least maintain some level of grace and dignity. Fine. Even if it's like, uh, let's work this out over someone still coming to you, you know, initially saying like, something's wrong here. And that takes a while for the other person to process and really figure it out. And I wonder if in, you know, the, the context of like all that, you know, if the divorce actually happens, if you start asking like retroactive questions about, did I do something to deserve this? And maybe you did. Maybe you were given opportunities, right? Like someone said, this isn't working. Here's what I need. And you decided not to meet them where they were. Maybe you did something to deserve it. Does that mean you're a bad person? I don't think so. I don't think it means you're a bad person at all. I think it means you're a human being. I think divorce is a result of a lot of different things, some of which could be, were you really ready to get married in the first place? I don't know if I agree with that, that did, did, that you might have done something to deserve. There's something about the that statement that that seems off to me. I think that we, not to be too cliche, but we create our own realities. And I think we draw and attract the lessons that we need in life. So it's similar in concept, but I don't think it's, I think the, the verbiage here is important because deserve implies, and this is going back to one of our original arguments of shame. <laughs> Maybe earn, earn is the right word. Did I earn the scenario? Did I create the scenario around me by the decisions that I made? I would go with create. So I think, what, what did I do to create this situation and what's the lesson? And I truly believe that we recreate and recreate patterns all the time until we learn the lesson, until we can see this is the lesson in life, whether or not that's God playing his hand or not, or the universe, fate, magic fairies, whatever it is you believe in, or yourself, just maybe you are godly. And we all have that godly power in us to create our own reality. Well, I think that's also really wonderful that we use the word create because yes, that is a godly word and there's no question about it. And I think if you were going to look at this week's Torah reading cycle, you would see the idea of, uh, you know, figuring stuff out in our lives and God being intimately involved in that figuring out of what life is uh, to be a parent. I mean, here we talk about Jacob wrestling with the angel. We talk about a very human wrestling match, right? We, we, we imagine that it's God wrestling with Jacob, maybe that it's Jacob wrestling with his inner demons. That's certainly something that I went through 
when I was going through the early stages of my divorce, I think a lot of people too, that you wonder if you're a bad person, right? This is again, did I do something to create this? These are things that you're wrestling with. What did I bring to the table, right? What can I take away from this experience? Who am I? Am I really that person that my ex seems to be portraying me as, or at least that I'm making implications about myself as a result of this circumstance in my life? I would argue that part of that journey of kind of going through it is all part of the wrestling match. It's a very long wrestling match. And I'll skip a couple partiot and join them together, two different sections of the Torah, but we're going to start learning about Joseph. And Joseph has got one of the longest narratives in the history of the Torah. And it's only until the very end of which he looks back on it, right? After he's, you know, teased by his brothers, after he's sold into slavery by his brothers, after he's gone through a lot of mishaps and slavery and all that stuff and finally winds up winds up the head of Egypt I mean he looks back on it and he says this was meant for a higher purpose that takes a lot for us to be able to do you'd have to have some real distance real understanding and some greater experiences away from that element away from that elephant or that fire hose in order to really be able to have some perspective but I think also if you're willing to kind of embrace it in the moment you can find God there and I think God can meet you at each individual moment, absolutely, and help you to find meaning in those moments. So what would you say now, out of your marriage and, you know, with a little bit of hindsight, if somebody came to you and said, I'm in a bad marriage, am I meant to be in this bad marriage? I'd probably say something like, you're meant to be in whatever circumstances, especially given what you and I have just talked about, you're meant to be in whatever experiences you create from yourself for yourself. The real question is, can you understand those experiences while you're in them? And can you do something about them while you're in them? Can you be real about them? Do you need to talk with your ex and say, is there something going on here? I'm saying ex, but can you talk with your partner and say, is there something going on here? Right? Well, you're, you're exploring now the relationship dynamic between the husband and wife. But what if a person is struggling with the, the relationship with God in the marriage? So, you know, does God specifically want me to be in this marriage? regardless of whether the issues get fixed or not, or I take responsibility or not, but is there some plan here that, that my life has taken this path here? I am right now. Maybe I'm supposed to stay on this path. Maybe there's, there's meaning in this experience in this well, pain as well. The point I'm trying to make is that God meets you in each step of that path, right? That there is no, that there is a path, but it's whatever you create. And God will be with you there to walk with you through that path at each individual decision, taking whatever decisions you've made previously to that, adding them up, right? And saying, this is the collective wisdom we have until this very moment, until this next step that you're about to take. And when you take this next step, you're going to gain some more wisdom along the way. But you have to take it in order for that to happen. The path is whatever you created. It's not already set. It's not predetermined. But it is there for you to make. And whatever you make of it is how it's going to go for you. And it could be difficult, it could be really easy, it could be uphill, it could be downhill, it could be both, it could be even, but it depends on how you make that path, right? And that's where you end up finding God is in each individual moment that takes you forward in some way or takes you backward. But either way, you take a moment to consider what's going on, what everything has been brought to you at, until that point. Hmm. What, what, you, what it made me think of when you were talking is that whether or not you believe in God, <laughs> but if you can find that spark of spirituality within yourself. So whether you view it as God within you or just 
that that breath of aliveness of life that makes us who we are individually then relating to that in these moments of why am i in this experience how can it amplify who i am as a spiritual being it doesn't mean staying caught or trapped in something it means that introspection and connection no the i would agree with you that the idea of being made in the divine image means right that there is amazing potential within all of us to kind of get through this and we may not even know it means that there's limitless potential that it might be really difficult i mean at the very least i would think it means that we have the ability to go through it that's what being an israelite means actually in honor of vaishlach being named israelite right means being able to wrestle with god and human beings it doesn't mean to be able to win it just means being able to and I think that's one of the things that this proves is exactly how divine we really can be inside, that we can kind of wrestle with these things and we can survive and come out the other side. We might have a limp, but we come out stronger and we come out different on the other end. And if you're willing to kind of hold on to something like that to say, I am made in the divine image and I have these amazing abilities within me to get through this and to learn from this and to grow from this and to come out better from all this, I think that's something that can actually carry someone through dropping some serious uh, Bible bombs in this episode. That's how it goes with Torah. You get deep. But, well, one other thing I wanted to add is that I think if, if somebody is listening and they are in a marriage, a challenging marriage and struggling to decide what the right move is for them and debating whether or not God put them in this situation on purpose, I think it's worthwhile to examine, is that a crutch? Because maybe God wants you to go to the other side, right? So are you hiding behind your religion out of fear for making some changes that might really um, challenge the status quo? Well, let me ask you, because I think even as a rabbi, I was, I was involved, I was in the shit, as they say, right? But you were in a community that was much deeper than even that. I don't know that I'd be able to swim in your community even as a rabbi. So I'm kind of curious to throw that question back on you. What did you say? Certainly not be able to swim with women in my community. <laughs> they wouldn't let me swim with women in your community. Not be allowed. <laughs> but did it matter to you in that way? Because of your community, the things that you were wrestling with? Not, not from a religious perspective, more of um, who we were as representatives within the community. You know, we, we were, we lived in Israel. We were very central in our community. We had a very open home. We were known, we were a known family. To me, I wrestled very much with um, dismantling my public, our, our public image. And obviously as discussed in previous episodes of the, sh the shame and the stigma that went along with divorcing, you know, oh my gosh, who, what kind of people are they if they get divorced, you know, who are they? And then is everything that they've done and represented up until now a farce? That was more of, of the struggle that I had. Not, will God be mad at me? Am I doing the wrong thing in the eyes of God? There were, there were, it's, it's a really interesting question because there were so many things happening parallel to my divorce in terms of my relationship with God. That's when I, I veered off the path of orthodoxy. So they, they definitely went hand in hand. And in a way it was my, it was my F you to God. <laughs> we can't include that. <laughs> Um, 
I wonder about how many people respond to God or how they respond to God in divorce. They probably respond to God in divorce like they do away, like they do to a lot of things that they're challenged with in life. They probably say, get the hell out of here. Where the hell were, were, were you? Where the hell were you? I, I, I always had a hard time with that. So I always, like I said before, the people that when someone close to them gets sick and says, God, why would you do that? I, I, I never understood that because where did we get the belief that things in our life are supposed to happen the way we interpret them as being good? Um, there's a multifaceted picture that we cannot see. Like you said, being too close to the elephant, we cannot see the big picture. So just because in this moment, we, in our very, very, very limited perspective, think this should be good or shouldn't be good. We really don't know in the big picture, what's good or what's bad. So I I didn't have anger at God for anything because I, I thought, you know, my divorce was incredibly painful for me. And now looking back, I think it was a good thing that happened in my life. And I think there's other things that have happened in my life that it seemed very painful and very um, frustrating. And why would God do this to me? I, I could definitely have stepped out to that pedestal of why would God do this to me? But I don't believe I don't believe that my perspective of what's good or bad is necessarily true in the big picture. I don't think it's true for anyone in the big picture. And I think and again, I don't think you can really understand it until you get enough distance from it. I think it's one thing to start appreciating kind of what you have in the moment and that may lead to a greater understanding, right? I certainly understand that there's a much more freedom I have in my life now than I did when I was married in any number of different ways. And that's something that I'm grateful for. There's no question. Will that be something that takes on a whole new level of meaning 20 years from now when life is completely different will be another story altogether? I don't know that. And it could be that this freedom that... I'm of the position that, you know, there is a love out there that can withstand just about anything and you have to find it with the right person. I thought that's what I had found. There's no question about it. And I think part of the disappointment is that that's not what it was, but I think it is possible. And I long for a relationship like that. That may not be anything I get immediately. There's no question about that. Right. And it may not be that I really understand that. And again, until 20 years from now, but it's at that point, when I'll realize, and again, it doesn't have to be exactly 20 years, but the point is that like, it proves itself out over time. And even then it might only prove itself out in relation to the moment that came before it, right? Because that moment in time that you're in is just that moment in time and you have to appreciate it for as much as it is. But if it lasts longer, then the message gets a little bit deeper and the message gets much, much, much more clear. When I was in religious day school there's a there's a metaphor that stood out to me mostly because it was different than all the other metaphors they use to teach religious girls which is always about a princess and her father the king and that's always the metaphor that we that we use and this metaphor i just really remember it that our our perspective in this world is as if we're standing underneath um a very intricate rug or tapestry so if you look under one of these rugs, it looks like a mess. There's strings everywhere. It looks it looks like chaos. But then if you're looking at it from on top, it's a beautiful, beautiful image or rug and very specifically designed. And I really held on to that metaphor and I use it all the time when I'm struggling with something. As I'm looking at the bottom, <laughs> I have a very limited perspective of what I'm seeing. I'm seeing chaos and it feels like chaos, but I truly do believe there's another side and another perspective that I may never see. That's exactly right. And I think that's also what of our theology teaches us that there's a mystery to life. And part of life is embracing the mystery and trying to figure out life regardless of that mystery. 
knowing that there are certain things that you can count on, certain things that there are tangible that you can see, that you can hold, and other things that you can't. And you take a lot of value in the things that you can hold. But the fact that there's a mystery also allows us to let go of things. It means that there's some things that you just can't understand. There are some things that are not concrete. And so therefore, there's no point to really try to busy yourself with trying to understand it too much. It might be really a mystery to me as to why Tamar and I got divorced. I may not know all the details to it. Okay, fine. I still have the rest of this beautiful concrete life to live and enjoy and make the meaning out of. Maybe we should have a conversation though about um, roles that men and women play in marriage and in family life in the Jewish community and what that looks like. Not today. Not today, but another day. <laughs> I think we've said enough for today. <laughs> I agree. Uh, wow. Okay. Good, Good question. And, you, and, and divorce. Where does it play? Into Where was God in your marriage? Where was God in your divorce? Where is God in your life now as a divorced person? Do you talk? Do you communicate with God? How does God work with you? How does God walk well, with you? And also another question is, are you or were you angry at God for the state of your marriage or for the uh the way you divorced <laughs> that's right how do you relate to god now wow. send us your responses to the jewish divorce project at gmail.com and you can find more information about us individually our contact information is at our website www.thejewishdivorceproject.com and please reach out with any questions, comments. And check us out on Instagram and Facebook. We're on social media at the Jewish Divorce Project. Come join us, friends. Come, let's build community together. Let's share resources and support one another. Mm -hmm.